Hey friends, welcome back to the Living Out Loud with Allie and Amanda podcast. My name is Amanda. The Living Out Loud show is where we invite a different guest each week. We give our guests the opportunity to share her story. Our hope is that their story will encourage you in some way. My name is Allie, and I want to say thank you to our awesome listeners for letting us into your life every two weeks. So grab your coffee or favorite beverage, and let's get started. So good morning, Sarah Deaton. We are so happy that you are here with us this morning. This is our earliest podcast that we have ever recorded, and... (laughs) Bright and early, bright and early for us, but it's it's eight thirty. Well, I'm I'm honored to be the first time for everything, so that's that's a huge privilege. <laughs> well, Sarah, tell us a little bit um, about you, and we're uh-huh. going to give you the floor and let you share. Well, thank y'all so much. I'm humbled to have met you, Amanda, a few years ago, and I'm I'm looking forward to one of these days meeting you, Allie, and just really thrilled to see women of God running in the lane he's called them to run in. And so the privilege I have just being here with y'all this morning is truly a gift from the Lord. And I don't take any platform that he gives me for granted. Um, I really believe that Revelation 12, 11 is true, which says that, that we can overcome the enemy by the power of the blood of the lamb, but also by the word of our testimony. And so there is power and truth in stories. And he gives us all stories. And, you know, as he's given you and he's given me um, and every listener on here, he's given each of us a story. But early on, um, kind of in my story, as it developed, I really wanted to be able to use my story as a window for people to encounter Jesus, not to just be left with details um, from Sarah Ott Deaton's life. And so <clears throat> I think for me, um, there's a lot of parts to my story and there's a lot of um, chapters to it, all of which have meaning, but each of those really is to point towards a relationship with a deeper living intimate Lord. And so I think for me, it it started in an incredible home. Um, My dad, I've often said is like a Paul and I was his Timothy. He understood the power of grace and the power of a personal relationship as did my mother in a way that very few I have ever seen. And so I grew up in this very incredibly relationship-centered upbringing. But as we all know, um, life has a way of developing you. And if you're not careful, life can have a way of trying to destroy you. And so the Lord, I do believe in his sovereignty. I believe that he works all things together for our good. And he uses all things that come into our life. And so early on, um, I just knew blessing. I knew joy. I knew ease. And I came to faith in Christ as a precious little seven-year-old girl uh, in the bathtub, actually. Really got baptized Mm -hmm. multiple times in my life. Um, But I was listening to this precious little song, God is So Good. It was in the Baptist church, this whole line of, of music called the Salty Song Bible. Mm-hmm. and Charity Church Mouse. And long story short, I mean, with all of my heart, with every little piece of my faith that I had at seven, I knew that I wanted Jesus to be good to me. And the song was saying, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good to me. And I saw him being good to my parents and being good to our family and my siblings, but I wanted him to be good to me. And so it, it began and my faith began and it was precious and real and valid 
Um, but I believe that the Lord has a starting point for us all, but that's not where we finish. So he wanted to deepen, obviously, my faith, and he wanted to define my identity as I grew older. And that's when the world begins to vie for our attention. And there becomes a war and a bit of a battle, I think, especially over a woman's heart, over a developing young girl's heart for our affection. And so I went on to school, um, had a great upbringing in school here in Atlanta, Georgia, and then went on to college um, at Stanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. And right before I entered into college, I had a very kind of mile marker moment. If y'all have ever had those, where you kind of, there's a stake in the ground and it's just a very defining um, moment. And that was for me in May uh, 2000. And I'll never forget, I was in Memphis, Tennessee, right outside of it, a little farm called Shelby Farm. And I was just turned 17. So I hadn't even been driving a year. And I remember I drove my first road trip and I drove from Atlanta, Georgia to Shelby Farms, Tennessee to be a part of a college movement. Now, granted, I'm in high school and I only have a license that was like a few months old. So I was very far from being in college, but I, st I snuck in and there was about 60,000 college students on this field. And that night, um, Allie and Amanda, the Lord did something to me that I will never forget. I knew that I was his. But he kind of began to convince me that, Sarah, I am also yours. And my hand has been on you since you were seven. But I want to ask you to partner with me and put your hand in mine for the rest of your life. And I knew my life was not going to be ordinary. It wasn't going to be normal. I didn't understand that that meant it wasn't going to be easy. I didn't get that part. But I just knew it wasn't going to be normal. And at 16 and a half, 17 years old, I knelt on my knees. Um, on that field. And I said, Lord, everything in my life is leverageable. I don't know what that means, but in this little Pollyanna world of Sarah Ott at the time, I say, yes, I say yes to your plan. And I say yes to your design and I'm leverageable. Fill me up and use me. And I, I was so excited. And I wrote down that day for some reason in my journal, it would be my love story as the hinge that God was going to use this, this ministry. I, I didn't know what the ministry was called. I just knew maybe I was going to be a pastor's wife or I was going to be a full-time just in ministry for the Lord. And it was my love story, whatever that meant. A 17-year-old girl of mine, I had no clue. But I wrote that down. And about five years later, that came very clear what that meant. Um, and as you know, as you get older and you walk with the Lord, the, um, the tests get harder. And so I went on to Sanford, had an incredible four years there, never had forgotten that prayer, was used of the Lord in large ways of leadership on that campus. And I graduated in May of 2004, so exactly four years later. And into my life walks a Texan. And I'm from originally Dallas, Texas, and so um, have a heart for Texas just in a special way. <clears throat> but he walked into my life, and it was my list on paper, and it was my list come to life, to be honest with you. And each, each of us probably at some point have a list yeah. regarding the husband-to-be. Okay, oh. so I had a list, and I thought the man of my dreams was also the man of my prayers. They're two different men. And I began to learn that the hard way. And this was the man of my dreams, but he was not really the man of my prayers. 
And uh, eight dates in, it was a bachelorette story before the TV show was popular. Um, I was engaged. It was the private planes. It was wealth and uh, publicity and all of that based on who he was. And um, I was, gosh, I was just about to turn 20. And um, he was a good bit older. And I just remembered thinking, okay, Lord, I didn't plan on doing this twice. So this has got to be your will. And he does know you. But as I'm sure y'all understand, there is a difference between knowing God and needing him. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people that know him at a very informational salvation level. But they have not yet come to needing him. And I fully believe that the greater you need him, the more you will love him. And this man had never known need. And to be all honest, I hadn't really either. And I, I knew the Lord and I had an innocence to me and a, and a desire to please him and a desire to walk in his way and in his will. But to be honest, I wanted his will my way. And for me, Going back to that prayer of four years prior, I just knew my love story was going to be some national news line. <laughs> and I just knew this was going to be the platform that God was going to use to have me give him all the glory. I was going to have this platform. And it was very, um, it was very twisted, I would say. And, and my heart, at the time, I didn't see it. And of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. But my heart... Um, began to create a rival, a rival for God's affection. And as Exodus says, he is a jealous God, <laughs> Exodus thirty four fourteen, and he has every right to be. He was jealous over me from the time I was seven years old, really from the time he formed me in my mother's womb. But he began to reveal his jealousy for me. And I don't know if you've ever had those moments where God ends up giving you what you need and not what you want. And he begins to show himself as, hey, I'm jealous. I want more than just your attention, Sarah. I want your affection. And I'm going to use some pain. I'm going to use some sharp left turns and right turns in, in this story that you think you're living to get your affection. I want all of your heart. And so my engagement, I would never go back and do it any different. I would not wish it on my greatest enemy. It was extremely painful. Um, But it was the tool that God used to grab a hold of the entirety of my heart. He had become, to be honest, somewhat of an accessory. And I don't think there's a lot of women at the time, you know, that are single, that have a deep heart for the Lord, but he has become somewhere in their definition an accessory. And based on what he does for them, they then release their affection. And that's kind of where I was. You know, it's like, Lord, I've saved myself. I've waited. You know, I'm 20. Hello. What did I know of waiting at 20? (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) I had to wait 11 years past that to marry my amazing husband now. So I get waiting now, but I did not know it then. Um, But I was just sitting there thinking, I've earned this. I've deserved this. I'm, I'm Sarah Ott. Lord, I'm the one that loves you. Remember, I'm the one that was on that field that said yes to you. And everything's just going to be this bed of roses and it's for your glory and so on and so forth. And all of that is true. But what I didn't understand then that I now really deeply cherish about the Lord is that brokenness is a part of the road. 
Mm-hmm. It's like that Rascal Flat song, right? Yeah. God bless the broken road. It, it is so true. Um, I, I have a bit of a, a visionary and probably a perfectionistic type way of, of seeing life sometimes and everything's just going to be perfect. And it's just going to be awesome. And God's going to work it all out. It's going to be easy. And faith kind of came easy to me like that when I was young. And it was this, you know, time frame between 2004 and 2005 when my world just turned upside down uh, throughout this public just shaming of my reputation, to be honest, in this relationship, that it began to reveal to me, this is part of how God works. This is not mean. He is not angry. He is jealous. And he wants to be so much more to all of us than just an accessory. He is center. He is life. He isn't just a part of it. And I I knew that conceptually, but I had to learn that experientially. And so there was a very godly man um, out in Texas that was going to officiate our wedding. This is about six weeks before, because when you're from Texas, you get married in Texas. There's no other way around that. And so I, um, I was living in Birmingham at the time, but we were going to have a wedding in May uh, in Texas. And this was right there at the end of March. It's March 25th to be exact. And then we were going to have a huge party in Atlanta in September. And it was going to be on 9-11, which was pretty much a word picture for the entirety of our relationship. It was a huge disaster. So this, um, this pastor, God used very deeply in my life. And um, that was another kind of tool and I think even in seasons of brokenness or pain or loss or tension, um, God is there, you know, and depending on your perspective, you can sit there and scream, God, where are you? Where are you? Or you can see there you are. And yes, this hurts. And yes, this is discipline, but I see you. I see you at work. And, um, and so on that day, March 25th, 2005, my life changed again because I was a wedding planner for a living then. Of course, I planned my wedding. There was going to be about a thousand people at our wedding. And I planned it about a weekend. And on that day, every plan I had made was frustrated and fell apart. And I knew what was happening on the inside of me, the questions, the hesitations, the fear, the things I loved about him that now were scaring me about him. um, They began to come to the surface. And this pastor saw that. And so he just stepped in and said, as as the pastor that's going to officiate this wedding, I'm, I'm going to indefinitely postpone it. And immediately I felt relief. Um, I felt deliberate. My ex-fiance did not feel that at that time. And so he got extremely angry. And um, that's kind of when the story took a really harsh turn. And so from that place um, in Texas and in that evening of March 25th, the Lord began to speak in my heart in ways that I don't really believe he had ever done before. Um, I remember I, my ex-fiance was very angry and slamming doors in the kitchen and I ran up in this beautiful mansion of a home and, um, I went into this closet. I could not get low enough before the Lord because what he was doing as my good, good father is he was bringing to my mind scriptures and in particular, first Samuel chapter eight. And he was bringing to my mind, the Israelites begging for a king, sick and tired of being different having judges. They wanted to be like the world. They wanted to have a king. And ladies, that's kind of where I was with marriage. To to date, I've been in 24 weddings. And at the time, I mean, I'm three shy of the the movie. 
And at the time I had been in it about 18 and I, I was sick of being different. I was the one that was the one that waited for the Lord. I waited for my husband. I did everything right. And this couldn't be my story. This couldn't be just going up in flames right before my eyes. Surely God wouldn't do that. Surely you would not go to this degree to get my attention. And he said, oh, I absolutely would. I am that good. And I love you that much that I would do this. And so he brought to my mind um, right there at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 8, when the Israelites basically looked at Samuel the prophet and said, we don't care what you say. We don't care that you're prophesying how this king is going to be the ruin of our future. We want a king. We are sick of being different. And so that's what I said. I said, I want a king. I want a mansion. If I'm all honest, I want the money. I want the, the influence. I want all of it. Yes, for the glory of God. But yes, I want that with God too. And so God said, okay, I will give you a taste of what you think you want. And it will leave you with a very skinny soul. And I'll give you the prince and the knight in shining armor. But the king of kings, ladies, in that moment was not present. And my need for him had gone out the window. He was an accessory. And that was not okay. And in that kind of posture on my knees in that closet, I said, Lord, deliver me from what I want. Give me what I need. And it was very sweet in my heart, but he was bringing so many scriptures up and he said, Sarah, you need me. And I'm never going to let you lose your need of me. I will have no other gods before me. Marriage, if you're single and you're listening to this, marriage is an incredible gift. It is something you don't earn. It's something that you don't manipulate. And I was doing that all for the glory of God. And so he stepped in and said, if, if I choose to, to give you someone that I choose for you, that's up to me. But I want to use this. It was never meant to marriage with this particular individual. I want to use this to bring you to the end of you. And if you look throughout the scripture, he is so good at bringing us to the end of ourselves that he might begin, that he might show up and show off and be strong, not fit into our plan necessarily, but blow our plans out of the water, Ephesians 3.25, which he's done with my incredible marriage and my husband um, today. And so I surrendered again um, in that place and said, Lord, I'm sorry. I confess to you that I wanted my cake and I wanted icing and I wanted to have you help me along and have it be for your glory, but I really wanted your will my way. And I want your will your way. So do whatever it takes. And so in a very kind of dramatic, painful way, the engagement did end, um, not just but a couple weeks later. And I was deeply hurt, but, but deeply relieved. If you've ever had those moments where you know God's heard your prayer, but it really stings. Mm -hmm. But it's like, oh, God, you answered and you moved and I'm grateful. And so that took me on to a journey of really seeing the scripture come to life to me in a way that I don't think it ever had. There's information and information can get you so far, but revelation is entirely different. And when you encounter the person of the living word in his written word, because you need it like food, it changes everything. And so the scripture was popping off the page to me. Um, I stayed in touch with that pastor, of course, and he was just a dear, dear friend that helped facilitate and counsel me through some of those things. Because really what happened, ladies, is it was an identity surfacing. God is hungry for our identities to be rooted, not in what his hand can do, not in what he can give, 
but in who he is. And my identity, I was a believer and I was a very committed, you know, deeply believing follower of Jesus. But my identity was confused and it wasn't undivided. It was very divided. And that's not what the Lord wants for, for us as his daughters and his women. He wants an identity that's secure and established. And that doesn't happen via a shortcut. Surrender doesn't usually happen without some pressure. And that pressure, whatever that is in, in your life, if you're listening to this, mine happened to be in a relationship setting in a, you know, somewhat of a public engagement setting, but pressure has many faces. Pain has many faces. Brokenness comes in multiple packages, and yet the principle is the same. It's really to bring us to the place of needing the Lord, of depending upon Him, of abiding in Him, as John 15, 4 and 5 say, to abide in me and I in you. When we are in that place, the fruit is endless, and the purpose in your life is endless. The identity is so clear. But I had to learn that brokenness is not a plan B. It was God's plan A. He had all of that planned out. I was never intended to marry that man. I, I didn't think I was going to get engaged twice. I was always intended to marry Josh Deaton by God's design. But it was that catalyst that he used to really bring Sarah to the end of Sarah into a place where, Jesus, you are my life. You are not a part of it. You are not just this little thing that I've attached myself to as a faith. You're a living, breathing person that has gripped a hold of me in a way that demands and deserves my entire affection. And so I spent the next 11 years um, just following after the Lord hard and loving him and living out of his love for me in a way that was so much more free than I had ever known. I had to wait um, on my husband for that long, establish her, um, spelled like Esther, E-S-T period H-E-R, was born out of that place of misery for me in 2005. Um, I, one of my mentors often says that, you know, some of the greatest ministries are born out of misery. And that's very true. When you see the scripture and you see the thread of how God works through his people, he doesn't work through the perfect. He doesn't work through the arrived, as if that really exists. He works through the broken and he makes all things together woven for a purpose that would bring him glory. And so he began to do that. Of course, the, the pain and the, the tension and the, the needing the Lord doesn't stop there. It wasn't just a one and done. Oh, I get it now after a failed engagement. Um, he's used cancer in my family with my dad. Uh, he used a recent miscarriage that I went to through the summer with my husband and yet through all of these things, ladies, I, I know in the depths of my heart that there is no rival in my husband and I's relationship with the Lord. He is good no matter what. And our faith and our dependency is attached to his character, not his hand. And I think there's a lot of women, and, and I was like this years ago, that attach their faith to what God does. And that will really lead to a lot of disillusionment and some discouragement versus attaching your faith to who he is. He may do some things and he has done some things that I don't fully understand, but I know who he is and I know he's good and he's kind and all that he allows or all that he brings in as a catalyst has a purpose. Nothing is wasted or worthless. 
And that's, that's so freeing to me to know the goodness and the sovereignty of my Lord, despite what I may not understand that he does. And um, I've learned to celebrate his character um, in the midst of things I don't understand versus on the other side. And that's a big part of if even establish her is the idea of these women being rooted like trees, right? Being planted um, by living waters. And when you think of a tree and you think of rooting, you think of something that's permanent and solid and secure. I did not see my identity that way in my early 20s. But that's the identity and the promise that God has for all of us. In fact, 1 Peter 5.10, just one of my banner verses and really the pillar verse of the establisher says that after we have suffered a little while, praise God, it's just a little while, the God who has called us according to his glory, he's going to do four things. He's going to perfect. He's going to confirm. He's going to strengthen. And he's going to establish us. And I love that he ends that verse with that word establish, but he begins that verse with the word suffering. Right. And again, that suffering can take on so many different faces, but it has a purpose. It isn't just vindictive and wasteful. And it's, it's leading us down a way that our perfection, our identity is, is grounded in him. He confirms our calling from him, all of us through the stories he's given us or the lanes of influence we have, our families or whatever, we have a, a, a calling from him. And then he's going to strengthen us to, to do that. And ultimately to have this established identity. I began just being asked to communicate and share the scripture um, after 2005 and for the last about 12 years now, have just been pouring my life into to mentoring and sharing and discipling women. And as I did that, I began to see a lack of establishment in women all over. Their faith was like a roller coaster. It was like if they were a tree, they were a palm tree. Super tall, super wide in the Lord, but their root system was extremely shallow. And when that storm would come or that confusion would happen or the plan wouldn't go the way they thought, disillusionment was the first resort. Anger at God was the first question. Why is this happening? Versus a deep-seated confidence that, no, I don't understand. But I know that John, in the book of John, Jesus says, we will have tribulation, but I can be of good cheer because my God has overcome this. I didn't see that really in kind of where I was here in the South and really it's all over the country. But a lot of this mindset is in the South because we know the information. We know theologically that God is good. But do we believe that experientially when the bottom of life comes out? Not necessarily. And so I began seeing and, and being asked to talk to these women, hundreds of them, and going, Lord, what, what is it? What, what, what are you using in our lives to get our attention? And it was just as clear as day. He said, Sarah, I use all things. I can use the mountaintop, but it is the valley. It is that potential uprooting. That storm, that pain, that loss, that question, that whatever it is in your life as a woman, I want to use as your heavenly father to actually root you deeper than you could ever imagine in my character, not in the circumstances and not in what my hand does and doesn't do. I mean, even Job says that blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. 
I had to wrestle with that one for a long time. He gave me my story. He gave me a baby in my womb this summer. He gave me an incredible dad, but his hand also allowed cancer to enter that family. And his hand sovereignly was over. It didn't catch him by surprise that my baby went on to be with him this summer. So I had to begin to to wrestle, not so much for answers, but for an understanding that, Lord, your hand gives me and your hand takes away. But my heart will choose to bless your name based on who you are, not what you do. And I long to see women come into that place where they can celebrate the character of God. Maybe not always understand and maybe not always agree. I had to learn I don't have to agree with God to praise him. But he is asking for my praise and to celebrate who he is in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And so I think even in that engagement story and kind of throughout my history and even how Establisher was born, he has used life from death. You know, and when you look at the scripture and you see the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God, right? You have to be weak to be strong. You have to die to live. You've got to be blind to see. It's unbelievable what he does. He is so amazing at how he turns things upside down. And I'm so grateful um, that he's done that kind of in my life. And he's seated me with him in a place that, that no, it isn't perfect. There isn't a perfect place. There isn't an arrival point. But he, um, he is my life. He's not a part of it. And that's what he wants for every woman, for every girl, for every daughter. Um, no matter where you are in age or stage of life, identity is constantly being warred over. It is constantly being assaulted. Who you are and what you place your identity in and what your purpose is from. And, and Jesus is so jealous for that. I was just saying I can relate to your story because um, when I was in college, I was dating the man of my dreams. I mean, he was everything on my list. He was Honestly, mm-hmm. like me, um, we had made the same decision. <laughs> exactly. You know, he just, it, he was the perfect fit. And everyone saw that. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought that. And um, when God revealed to me that my identity was more in this man than it was in him, and that I was mm-hmm. finding my purpose in being his girlfriend and one day being his wife, then um, God realized that in order for me to realize what I was doing and to truly find my purpose in him and my love for him was that he had to take him away. And he did, he removed him from my life and Mm -hmm. we ended our relationship. And I was at a point where I was completely broken and completely, um, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to pick myself back up because I'd found my purpose in him for so long and God had to start over. He had to teach me how to, um, how, how he wanted to pursue me, that it wasn't just about guys and being in a relationship because I've, I've, I'm, I mean, I'm a relationship person. I've been in long mm-hmm. relationships. I dated a guy in high school for almost six years. I mean, I was known for being in long relationships and looking back at it, God was showing me that I, I thought that I had purpose when I was somebody's girlfriend and that he wanted to strip that away from me and for me to realize that I can be grounded in him and that I don't need a man to show me that I'm good enough or show me that 
you know, my, my purpose is in, in them because it, it's truly in God. And I mean, it was a huge process for me. I mean, it was very, mm-hmm. very painful, but at the same time, God was pursuing me just like, even in a better way than these other men here on earth had pursued me. And he was teaching mm-hmm. me that how he was pursuing me is how I should look for my future husband to pursue me in the same way. Mm-hmm. And um, absolutely activating really, really, um, I read that book during that time. And have you read Captivating? I have. Yes. Um, I, it just completely, I think rocks my world. I mean, I, I Mm -hmm. really that and it really taught me how to start over and how to be grounded Mm -hmm. in the Lord and only need him. And it was right after I learned that, that he brought me my husband. Um, but I mean, right. And I think so many times we can, you know, we feel like we love God and that he is number one. Um, and as much as he can be. And we feel like, okay, we are on the right road with all that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when those bad things happen, the heartaches happen, the trials, we see that's when we really do see where our priorities are, where our, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where our fears are, where, you know, whether it is a relationship, whether it's things, material things, you know, God Mm -hmm. gets our attention, just like you said, Sarah, because he is a jealous God. Um, a loving mm-hmm. God. He wants to be number one, um, not to hurt us. All of these things that happen yes. are to bring us closer to him because ultimately that's what is best for us, you know, um, and that he is our provider. No one, no thing. He is our protector. That's right. He is the one, you know, so many times I've met, you know, women who are so attached to a certain man because they are the mm-hmm. ones, they feel like they're the ones that are providing for them, that they're the ones that, um, the guy or the man is the one that is giving, um, that certain person things or what they need. But when you look at it, God provided that man, right? you know, right. for mm-hmm. that person. And ultimately mm-hmm. he is going to get our attention and that's it's, right. It's up to us. Just like we always talk about, we talk about choices a lot on our show because it does come down to choosing to see that God is the one um, in this situation. What is he doing? Because he's always working. He's always doing things Absolutely. to see that he is working and that he is in that and what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Or we can choose to see that this is just something that's come along to, you know, bury us, but it's, it's right. Right, exactly. And his character, that, that's, that's the value of knowing the character of God by being in the scripture. The scripture is breath. It's not ink on a page. And it, it reveals to us his character and who he is. And when we know his character is good and everything you're saying, you know, Amanda and Allie, I, I completely agree. Then there's a, a greater chance to celebrate in those times when life has taken a turn. And you're not celebrating the pain, you're not celebrating cancer, but you're celebrating the fact that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is good, and he is here, and he's working, and this is for our good and his glory. You know, and so I think my heart, and even establishers' heart, is to develop and root women in a deeper walk with the Lord that's more about intimacy and less about activity, that's more about this, this centeredness and this rootedness and this verse by verse experience of the living words of your written word that really deepens our 
cherishing in our understanding of his character mm-hmm. because life will have its turns you know that will come for wherever you are in life whether you're young or old but he is the God that stays the same yesterday and today and forever and as we learn to celebrate who he is in the midst of not just on the other side um, then we end up having an identity that's unshakable yes. and that's rooted like a tree like the oak of righteousness right like in, in Isaiah 61 and that's planted um, that won't be uprooted um, and so I, you know, I, I'm so grateful that establish her here in Atlanta is reaching women in this, in this area of the inner life and not, not the outer life, you know, cause our, I mean, our identity can be in husbands, it can be in kids, it can be in a variety of things. Right. Um, and I think the Lord is so good at keeping us on a short leash. My parents would often call it a short leash because he doesn't let us run too far. Before we realize, Sarah, your, your identity is not establish her. Your identity is not being Mrs. Deaton. Your identity is in me. And everything else in your life is additional. But I am not additional. I am central. Yeah. And he is so precious like that and has given that um, voice really to establish her to hundreds of women here in Atlanta and all the retreats and experiences that we do throughout the year to really deepen a woman's identity um, and using the, the tool of brokenness. One of the things that you touched on earlier and I wanted to say something about because um, just talking about how heartache and pain, you know, births our calling. And a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. we were at Chick-fil-A seminar and we had the opportunity to hear Rebecca Lyons, who is, an mm-hmm. um, do you know her personally? I do. Yeah. Her and Gabe. Yeah. He's great. But anyway, she said something that I wrote down and I loved because she said calling is a lot of times your calling is where your talents and your burdens collide. And, you know, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about that on our show about how what we've gone through and what we, the heartache that we've experienced so many times become our passions in life. Absolutely. And our story, just looking back at our story. And sometimes we do have to go through things to, to know our calling in life. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, I could not agree more. Remind me of the, where this, where it is in scripture, you shared the verse about, um, oh, I think you said first Peter and it was talking about how one six, first Peter one six, is that, well, you explained uh, like uh-huh, the, the suffering yep. with suffering first, first Peter five ten five um, first Peter five ten mm-hmm. And that's just the, the banner verse really of establish her. Um, the other neat kind of correlation to that verse as we come to a close here is Second Kings 19.30. I love how the Old Testament, the New Testament are really one, but I love it. It, it says um, that there is a surviving remnant of the house of Judah that will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. God is so about having our root system go as deep as possible rather than our wits go as wide as possible. He wants us to take these roots deeper into his character that we might fruit in our marriages, in our parenting, in our calling, in our ministries or jobs. But it's the rooting that's got to come first, not the fruiting. It's not the other way around. And I think the order of God's word is just as God breathed as the word itself. And so there is purpose and understanding and 
sitting in that inner life with him and meeting him and falling in love with him, that your root system goes so deep that no matter what life throws, whether it's good or whether it's tension, it's not going to shake you. Your root system is deeper than your branches. Mm-hmm. And the deeper your roots go, the more fruiting your branches will be. And I love that. I love Second Kings 19.30 and, it, and it's wrapping around the idea of so much of John 15 and even into First Peter 5. Um, so that's kind of where I, I get to live my life. I get to lead an organization um, where women are, are coming alive and understanding some for the first time that their identity is not just in an information or in a theology, but in a living, breathing, invisible person. Mm-hmm. And that gives them a meaning into all the chapters of their story, the dark ones and the light ones. And they end up having an, a greater degree of love and need for Jesus. I often tell them, do not live life on your feet. Live life on your knees. There is power in living life on your knees, understanding your need of Jesus Christ as everything. In him and to him and through him, all things hold together, even us. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just so humble to be here in Atlanta and to, to get to see women throughout all the experiences that we create and the Bible study that I teach on Mondays here um, come to life and fruit, but they fruit out of their root system and their deeper and their understanding of the identity of Jesus inside them. Sarah, we have been so blessed by your wisdom, <laughs> by your knowledge, by your, your faith. And um, I know I have, mm, I know I've learned you. so much. I mean, this is supposed to be more of a dialogue, but I've been sitting here taking notes as if I was yeah. listening to a sermon because <laughs> your words that God gives you are just so beautiful and they mm. speak directly um, to the heart. So we want to thank mm. you for that. But before we, oh, thank you. On a lighter note, what is something that you like to do to relax? Because it sounds like you're pretty busy. <laughs> we we are very busy. Uh, my husband and I love to cook and entertain. We we've got about an acre of property in the city of Atlanta, which is hard to believe. Yeah. Um, and so we do. We love to just cook and entertain at our table. And we've got a um, a family of Australian shepherds. We have five. It's a little insanity. Oh. Um, but <laughs> we, we love our dogs and, uh, we, we really kind of relax and unwind with them. We also love to travel. It's funny. We do live busy, but sometimes I think in the, the go and in the travel, there is this very unique sense of relaxation and rest that happens. It's hard to explain, but, uh, we get to travel a lot and actually unwind as we do that. Oh, great. Well, Sarah, we wish we had more time because we could talk about so many more things. <laughs> uh, you've been great. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Oh. And well, we- thank y'all.